0: Season 10 of the Art Curious podcast is sponsored by Anchorlight. For more information about their programs and residencies, please visit anchorlightraleigh.com. In 2003, I was in graduate school at a university in the Midwest here in the U.S., and my art history department was small. I mean, tiny. There were three graduate students total, including myself, and so we hung tight and close. Whenever anything remotely artsy arose in our environs, we were there. We were guiltily reading copies of The Da Vinci Code, going to all of the student exhibitions on campus, and heading out to our university town's only indie theater to see whatever movie was out that week. And I have a distinct memory of one where a single scene made the three of us artsy grad students gasp out loud. The camera peers into a luminous, darkly furnished interior, all warm glow coming through heavy glass windows. This scenery, it was perfect. It was, is, an interior by Johannes Vermeer, the great Dutch Baroque painter who specialized in these gorgeous domestic interiors and other genre scenes, and wasn't terribly prolific, completing only around 50 or so paintings during his lifetime, only about 35 of which have survived today. But by God, This movie brought us, in the 21st century, into Vermeer's home. And if there is one thing that this film, Girl with a Pearl Earring, got right, it was this. So belated and ongoing kudos to the film's cinematographer, Eduardo Serra. But this movie, based on the popular historical novel of the same name by Tracy Chevalier from 1999, presents us with an incredible tale that interweaves the artist's biography with that of a young maid named Greet, whom, we are led to believe, was the inspiration and model for Vermeer's most beloved painting. But is this truly how it all went down? Some people think that visual art is dry, boring, lifeless. But the stories behind those paintings, sculptures, drawings, and photographs are weirder, more outrageous, or more fun than you can imagine. In this season, Season 10, we are going to dig deep on some great art historical facts and fictions. In this episode, we are welcoming Johannes Vermeer to the stage for the very first time on our podcast. Does his elegant girl with a pearl earring really portray a maid from his household? This is the Art Curious Podcast, exploring the unexpected, the slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful in art history. I'm Jennifer Dassel. Sometimes in art history, there can be this feeling that a famous work of art has always been so famous. It's something I've addressed in past episodes of The Pod. As we learned with the Mona Lisa, for example, that famous work of art was always a draw at the Louvre, but it really didn't explode into the iconic stratosphere until the early 20th century. Vermeer's girl with a pearl earring had to wait even longer, until the end of the 20th century, to reach its highest heights. In 1996, an exhibition arranged by the Mord's House in The Hague and traveled to the National Gallery in Washington brought together 21 of the 35 known extant Vermeers, a landmark show that introduced hundreds of thousands in the US alone to one of the most intriguing artists of the 17th century. The story of Vermeer's ups and downs in art history is a familiar one especially when we are talking about diverse artists, but the ravages of time can attack a white male artist too. In the centuries after Vermeer's death in 1675, his works, or at least the few that have remained or that have been identified to date, fell out of favor as tastes and styles changed, or they had been misattributed to other artists of the time, like Gabriel Metsu or Franz von Meeres the Elder, genre painters both. in 1866, theophile thore Berger, who was a French journalist and art critic, published a catalogue of Vermeer's works in the Gazette de Beaux-Arts, and this helped bring Vermeer's works back to the limelight. Because when thore bergere first noticed Vermeer's works nearly half a century prior upon viewing his gorgeous and most famous work, The View of Delft, he didn't recognize the artist's name, and really, hardly did anybody else. But the publication of his catalogue, even with its many errors of attribution and dating because Torrey Berger thought that Vermeer actually created far more work than he really did, the publication changed all that. And Vermeer's name would never be forgotten again. One of the reasons that Vermeer was lost to history for so long is due to the relatively little that we know today about his biography. In fact, so few religious or civic documents remain from his hometown of Delft, where it appears he spent his entire life, that Torre Berger once called his subject the Sphinx of Delft. Vermeer, for all we know, was born in Delft sometime in about 1632. We don't have a record of his birth, but we do know that he was baptized on Halloween, October 31st of that year. So chances are good that he was probably born that fall, either September or October. His family was lower middle class, and his father, who was both an innkeeper and an art dealer after apprenticing as a silk worker in his youth, struggled along mightily. Fast forward 20 years to April 1653, and we know that Johannes, the family's son, marries Katerina Bolz after converting to Catholicism a choice made, apparently, with fervor and conviction, and not just for the sake of his marriage. Katarina's family was wealthier than his own, and it was lorded over by Katarina's mother, the imposing Maria Tins, who, according to sources close to Vermeer's family, wasn't super tolerant of Johannes and Katarina's marriage at the outset, but warmed to the idea after Johannes' conversion. Not terribly long after their marriage, the couple moves into Maria Tin's large house in Uda Langendijk, the Catholic section of Delft. And it is there in that house that Vermeer lived for the rest of his life and where he would produce all of his paintings too. It's a good thing that the Uda Langendijk house was a sizable one because Katharina and Johannes had 10 or 11 surviving children, with Katerina bearing at least four who died before their own baptisms perhaps because of the large number of mouths to feed, and the fact that Johannes was a painter who worked slowly and deliberately with much care, which we will talk about in a moment. When he died at age either 42 or 43 in 1675, he left behind a critical amount of debt. Indeed, it seems like he had to lean into the good graces of his mother-in-law, and at least one or two devoted patrons, for financial stability for much of his adulthood. And, as in 1643, the year he married, he also registered to become a member of the Guild of St. Luke, the Painters Guild. But he was unable to pay the entry fee. How Vermeer became a painter is a mystery still unsolved as of the writing of this episode. We don't know where and with whom the artist trained, but we do know that he had to have some kind of training because he couldn't become a member of the Painters' Guild without having completed a six-year apprenticeship, proof of which would have been required to allow Vermeer to join. But no records exist or have yet come to light. Did Vermeer train there in Delft? Did he go to Amsterdam, which boasted an even livelier art scene, and learn there? We truly don't know, though art historians have speculated several possibilities, and those six years are a significant gap in our timeline. Nevertheless, by the time he reaches his early twenties, he has confirmed himself as a so called master painter, and even went on in his later years to be elected to the head of the Guild of St. Luke four times, as well as following in his father's footsteps after the elder Vermeer's death as an innkeeper and an art dealer. Vermeer was widely respected, but only modestly successful, and part of that, as I mentioned previously, was because he worked slowly, producing perhaps only three paintings a year. And looking at a work like The Milkmaid from around 1658 and now at the Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam, we can see why. His attention to every possible detail, from the crusts on the loaves of bread in the bread basket, to a forlorn nail driven up high on the wall, the cracks in the plaster, and the slow stream of gray-white milk that the titular maid pours from a terracotta pitcher All of it is exquisite, precisely rendered. Much discussion over the past two decades has centered upon how exactly Vermeer managed to produce such spatially accurate work, with the general consensus being that Vermeer may have used some kind of primitive camera obscura or sets of curved mirrors to achieve his outcome, a theory known as the Hockney-Falco thesis, after its two main proponents, the artist David Hockney and physicist Charles M. Falco. And let me take this moment to say that if you haven't seen the fantastic 2013 documentary Tim's Vermeer, then you fully have my permission to pause this podcast and go watch it immediately. Go for it. I'll wait. Welcome back if you just saw Tim's Vermeer. Vermeer didn't have an easy time of it toward the end of his life. And neither did the Netherlands as a whole, really. The Dutch were embroiled in a war with France, the Franco-Dutch War, from 1672 through 1678. And in that same period, about 1672 to 74, they were also at war with England in the so-called Third Anglo-Dutch War. At this point, the art market collapsed and the Dutch economy was under severe pressure, leading to an incredible downturn that would take several years to recover from. When Vermeer died in December 1675, his widow wrote to their creditors, petitioning them for debt forgiveness. The letter still survives today, and Katerina heartbreakingly describes her husband's death, noting, quote, during the ruinous war with France, he not only was unable to sell any of his art, but also, to his great detriment, was left sitting with the paintings of other masters that he was dealing in. As a result, and owing to the great burden of his children having no means of his own, he lapsed into such decay and decadence, which he had so taken to heart that, as if he had fallen into a frenzy, in a day and a half, he went from being healthy to being dead." So, the life of Johannes Vermeer, not the happiest one, but also not the most detail-filled one either, which meant that he is the perfect person around whom a novelist like Tracy Chevalier can arrange a narrative and fill in the gaps with a delectable and gripping tale. We'll be getting into Girl with a Pearl Earring and its book and film adaptations right after this break from our sponsors. So come right back. I'm about to admit something shocking to you. I love history. I know. I mean, who'd really have thunk it? But I truly do. And that's why I'm looking forward to the Wondrium course, The Skeptic's Guide to American History, because it's all about these commonly held myths and half-truths about history and teaches us the real story about what really happened. Kind of like what we're trying to do on this current facts and fiction season of Art Curious. Wondrium's curated library makes lifelong learning fun. Their engaging videos are full of mind-blowing content that cover every topic you've wondered about, and you can dive into documentaries, travelogues, tutorials, and so much more. I think you might love learning about the facts and fictions of American history as much as I did, and so you can check out The Skeptic's Guide to American History and the thousands of other videos that Wondrium has to offer. I have an amazing offer to get you started, a free trial of unlimited access. To get this offer, sign up now through my special URL: wondrium.com/art. That's w-o-n-d-r-i-u-m.com/art. Get Wondrium, one of my favorite streaming services, where you can learn all about whatever you want, whenever you want. Wondrium.com/art. This episode is brought to you by Storyblocks. Storyblocks is the first unlimited download subscription-based provider of stock video and audio, with over 100,000 customers in the TV and video production industry, from NBC to MTV to hobbyists looking to enhance their video projects and productions. Today's audiences require compelling video storytelling to win their attention, but making a video can be expensive and really time-consuming. Storyblocks makes it possible to keep up with the growing demand for modern video content so you can bring all your stories to life and stop sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Their royalty-free, demand-driven video library is being constantly updated and optimized with templates for use in After Effects and Premiere Pro, and it even includes music, images, sound effects, and more to give you everything you need to bring your stories to life. Assets are royalty-free, so you can use your downloaded content anywhere for commercial and personal use. I recommend trying out their unlimited all-access plan that gives you unlimited downloads of more than 1 million assets in their library so you can create more and spend less without sacrificing quality. And what's even cooler is that Storyblocks is actively working to change the face of stock footage with more diverse and inclusive content in their library to help creators tell their most unique and authentic stories. Their program, Restock, is their commitment to increase representation in stock media by hiring creators from marginalized communities to create content that is more reflective of the diverse world we live in. To learn more, please visit storyblocks.com artcurious. That's storyblocks.com artcurious. Welcome back to Art Curious. As with so, so much about Johannes Vermeer's life, we don't know an awful lot about the creation of the artist's most beloved and iconic work, his Girl with a Pearl Earring. While he did sign his work, he didn't date it, so historians have been left to their best guesses as for the painting's date. It's around 1665, they assume, because of its inclusion of the very thing that gives the painting its title, that pearl earring. Around that period, the mid-1660s, Vermeer made multiple paintings with pearls in them, something that he may have done because not only did the semi-precious stone – stone is, for lack of a better word, I suppose – not only did it indicate wealth and status – but the item also allowed him to showcase his incredible artistic skills. Look closely at that pearl, and you can see that it's comprised of little more than a few swipes of white and cream paint. Not much else. A jewel whose light and shadows are hinted at with just a few well-placed daubs of paint. It's a marvel. And that pearl alone being so delicate, so delicious, it's no wonder that this painting has grown so popular over time with it being deemed the most beautiful painting in the Netherlands by the Dutch themselves in 2006, and it is also occasionally called the Mona Lisa of the North. But as we discussed in the first episode of this season on the Mona Lisa, sometimes even the most iconic and fictionalized works are portraits of real individuals. Mona Lisa, we think, is a portrait of Lisa Gherardini, the wife of a Florentine merchant named Francesco del Giocondo. If the girl with the pearl earring is the Mona Lisa of the North, is she then also a portrait of a real person? That's the question that novelist Tracy Chevalier attempts to answer in her fictionalized account of the painting's origin and its subject matter. And please note, some spoilers for the book are about to follow. Girl with a Pearl Earring, published in 1999, follows the life of Greet, a young woman who enters the Vermeer household as a maid, where she isn't treated all that wonderfully by Vermeer's wife and some of their children, though Vermeer's mother-in-law, Maria Tins, comes off rather sympathetic in this portrayal. Vermeer himself is nearly as mysterious as his real-life counterpart, appearing distant and obsessed with nothing but his work. A painter who eventually comes to understand Greet's worth from an artistic standpoint after he notices her own creative bent. Greet watching the colors of clouds as they pass above in the sky. Greet arranging vegetables by color. Greet removing an item from an arrangement for a still life to make the composition stronger, and so forth. In time, Greet becomes Vermeer's ad hoc assistant and confidant, a job that, while intellectually stimulating for her, also comes in conflict with her regular job helping to manage the Vermeer household. And, of course, Greet's beauty is noted. Not originally by Vermeer, but by one of his wealthy clients, who becomes obsessed with Greet and eventually sexually assaults her. The patron wants a portrait of himself done with the maid at his side, kind of like a trophy. But Vermeer demurs, offering instead to paint two separate pictures, one of the client with his family, and one of Greet. And thus, Girl with a Pearl Earring was born. A painting that requires Greet to dress in a particular manner with those stunning pearl earrings, which, according to the tale, belonged to Vermeer's wife. The scene of this painting coming to life is one of the standouts in the book and in the movie adaptation, with Vermeer helping to pierce the maid's virgin ears so that she can don the jewelry that makes the eventual painting so iconic. And though the relationship between Vermeer and Greet is mainly of master and servant, or even artist and assistant, there's just enough of a frisson between them to suggest that one of them, at the very least, has some repressed romantic feelings for the other. Yet, of course, a relationship between them would never happen. When it's discovered that Greet, a servant, wore these expensive jewels, the Vermeer household is thrown into chaos, and Vermeer's wife fires Greet. It's an unjust and sad ending to Greet's career with the household, especially because Vermeer himself comes across as a coward, unable to stand up to his wife to declare that it was under his urging that Greet wore those titular earrings. There's more to the tale, of course, but I've already spoiled it enough. Suffice to say that it is a beautifully written, if restrained, narrative, like Vermeer's painting style itself, that fills out the story of a painting that is otherwise pretty mysterious. We don't know who the woman is, if she was a real-life woman who modeled for Vermeer. And we don't know the circumstances of its creation. And that's what actually makes the book and the movie successful. That they fill in those gaps where we don't have a lot of historical detail. But that doesn't mean that it is anything but a fictionalization. Take, for example, the wealthy client who assaults Greet. He's actually based on a real person, too. Vermeer's primary patron, a man named Peter van Ruyven. But Chevalier uses him as a villain to serve her plot. No shade at all there, by the way. This is what novelists can do. She uses the very broad strokes of real, historical figures like Vermeer, Katerina, and Maria Tins To build her story. But Greet, it seems, is an entirely fictional character, not necessarily built on a particular person. What else is fictional in The Portrait of Girl with a Pearl Earring? It turns out, a lot. And that's coming up next, right after this quick break. There's a lot more to art than just Baroque paintings and marble sculptures. There's butter sculpture, taxidermied house pets, painted nails, square dancing. And then there's another underrated art form, shopping for car or home insurance. Once this took artists hours or even days to find their perfect policy. But now you can discover your policy masterpiece in minutes with The Zebra. The Zebra compares home and car quotes from every major insurance company in under five minutes, giving you all the facts you need to make the right decision. It is the fastest way to find the right coverage at the right price, all from a provider whom you can trust. In fact, the Zebra saves people an average of $922 a year on home and auto combined. That's more than most macaroni artists can make in a lifetime. I know how hard it is to find and bundle your insurance, so having the opportunity to find it all in one place is truly a time saver. Get the perfect home or auto policy quote today. Compare quotes for free and start saving at thezebra.com art. That's thezebra.com art. This episode of Art Curious is brought to you by BetterHelp. There have truly been times in my life where I've needed some assistance to figure out what I wanted from life and how to find the happiness I deserved. And that's why I turned to BetterHelp. And BetterHelp is here to help you too. With BetterHelp, a professional can assess your needs and match you with a licensed professional therapist with whom you can begin communicating in less than 48 hours. And it is so convenient because you can connect from wherever you are in a safe and private online environment environment, and you can message, call, or video chat with your therapist, all instead of commuting somewhere and sitting uncomfortably in a waiting room. And BetterHelp also makes it easy to find the right therapist for you. Whether you're looking for help with depression, anxiety, trauma, grief, LGBT matters, self-esteem, or anything, and you don't have to limit yourself to someone who works near your home. Believe me, I've used BetterHelp, and it is so easy. And I loved my counselor I connected with. And even if I didn't, it would have been so easy and free to change counselors if I wanted. It's confidential, convenient, professional, and affordable. And financial aid is available. BetterHelp is not a crisis line or a self-help line. It is professional counseling done securely. And check this out, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. As an art curious listener, you're important to me, and so I want you to start living a happier life today by visiting our sponsor, BetterHelp. You'll get ten percent off your first month of counseling by visiting BetterHelp.com/artcurious. Join over one million people who have taken charge of their mental health. That's at BetterHelp H E L P dot com slash artcurious. Welcome back again to Art Curious. So Greet we've established, is an entirely fictional person, not modeled on anybody with a historical basis. And so, truly, the same can be said about Girl with a Pearl Earring. Most historians believe that this work is an example of a popular format in the Netherlands in this period, a type of work known as a trony. <music> the term trony extends from the Dutch word meaning face, and was often a painting that was used as a type of experimentation for facial expressions or elaborate costuming. Lots of artists in Flanders and Holland during the 17th century created these tronies. And once you start looking for them in Northern Baroque art, you will see them everywhere. In the works of Franz Halls, Judith Leister, Jan Lievens, and one of the masters of the trony, a man who transformed his own appearance frequently to inspire his own tronies, Rembrandt. While tronies were sometimes created to work out the details of expression or physiognomy, they also sometimes were used to play with interesting character types, like a beggar, a drunk person, a musician, and so forth. Take Rembrandt's self-portrait in an oriental attire, a work from 1631 and now in the collection of the Petit Palais in Paris. Here, the young Rembrandt provides us with a full-length study of himself dressed in an exuberant plumed turban and fur stole, standing with his right arm cocked and his left draped over a walking stick. Essentially, he is playing a role here, using himself as a guinea pig for characters who might have occupied one of his many biblical paintings as the term Oriental here mostly just referred to any number of distant lands that seemed unbelievably exotic and fantastical to the Dutch at the time, though many ongoing skirmishes with the Ottoman Empire during this period may have also brought Turkish attire and accessories to front of mind. It's very probable that Vermeer was interested in all things exoticizing too, and that girl with a pearl earring is one of his takes on this subject matter a trony of a young girl in exotic dress bearing some priceless jewels. So this Mona Lisa of the North is less a real person, like Mona probably was, and more of an idea. Or an ideal. Even if someone literally sat down and modeled for girl with a pearl earring, it's still probably not meant to be a portrait of that woman, but the concept of a beautiful young woman from somewhere evocative. And it's that sumptuous beauty that seems to be the purpose of Girl. A showcase for Vermeer's talent at creating a gorgeous scene. An image that would keep his patrons happy, perhaps, and encourage further commissions and patrons to come his way. It might not be as romantic or dramatic a tale as the one that Tracy Chevalier so deftly spins. Nor that Colin Firth and Scarlett Johansson portray in the film adaptation. But the result is stunning, breathtaking still, after four and a half centuries. The girl with a pearl earring has become incredibly timeless. Coming up next time on Art Curious, we are looking at the Dark Ages. Yep. It is time for us to talk about the medieval period and find out if it was really quite as dark culturally and artistically as people have said. Thank you for listening to the Art Curious Podcast. This episode was written, produced, and narrated by me, Jennifer Dassel. Huge thanks to Mary Manfredi for her awesome research and help with this episode. Our theme music is by Alex Davis at alexdavismusic.com, and our logo is by Dave Rainey at daverainydesign.com. Our podcast services are provided by our friends at Kabunki. You can listen to their show Subgenre, a podcast about the movies. Season one is out now. Visit subgenrepodcast.com for more details. The Art Curious podcast is sponsored primarily by Anchor Light. Anchor Light is a creative space founded with the intent of fostering artists, designers, and craftspeople at varying stages of their development. Home to artist studios, residency opportunities, and exhibition space, Anchor Light encourages mentorship and the cross-pollination of skills among creatives in the triangle. Please visit AnchorLightRaleigh.com. The Art Curious Podcast is also fiscally sponsored by VAE Raleigh, a 501c3 nonprofit creativity incubator. To find donation links and for more details to our show, please visit our website, artcuriouspodcast.com. And we are also on all the socials at ArtCuriousPod. Check back with us soon as we continue to explore the facts and fictions of the unexpected, the slightly odd, and strangely wonderful in art history.